0: and the lord said just do the best i can and that's what i did i did the best the best that i can that's what i that's what i did welcome back to quaid in full the podcast with all the facts to give about actor dennis quaid I'm your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with Iowa City Department of Buildings villain, Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. Hello. <laughs> oh, you're a, you're a cracked no good yeah, man. Absolutely. Today we are talking about the sequel to Bill, which I think we talked about in episode eight of this season. Something. Something like that. Down there. That is the uh, sequel to Bill, Bill on His Own. There's honestly not a whole lot to say about either the film or its quatosity for reasons that will become clear. But first, we have, as is customary, a little pod business to do specifically about whether either of us has gotten around to listening to the Renaissance, and if not, why not? Jeb, would you like to begin our journey? <sighs> um, I'll be
1: honest with you. I just I forgot we were doing this today until I woke up this morning, and so my entire day has been got to got to watch Bill on his own, got to go back and rewatch any bits I need to, got to take notes. Definitely not lying around, Uh, you know, just doing a J and uh, thinking about the (laughs) Renaissance, which I would have been happy to do, you know, just sort of like hang out on. Well, I can't really hang out on my porch. I don't know if you can hear the monsoon going on behind me, but uh, that might also have done it too. I I feel like uh, listening to the Renaissance just doesn't seem like wet weather listening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I admit that I had not thought of it that way before, but you're absolutely right. Like a summer downpour is not peak denesance listening, I concur. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't uh get around to it either. My excuse is that uh I have been recording my own audiobook and I have been doing so much <laughs> talking into a microphone and doing pickups and trying to, you know, act animated orally without moving my upper body at all. Uh, that... uh, if, if I may, uh, what's the book about? Where can I buy it? <laughs> you may. The book is called A Very Special Unauthorized Beverly Hills 90210 Book. There is a lengthy subtitle as required by law. It's um, me, Antar Ariano, writing up 93 of the keyest episodes of beverly hills 90210 it will be on sale as of september 22nd and you can pre-order it from abramsbooks.com from amazon if you have to but uh, support a local bookseller why not so the subtitle of the book is the explanation for why you didn't
1: do the Renaissance, or is it yes i'm not, okay all right a- so at we got no time is there
0: any quaid anywhere in the zip ergo i right. just had to like really get method about reading my sidebar about the peach pits finances
1: yeah i could yeah i wouldn't want to get like attitudinally distracted by you know like the certain the certain magnetism that he has and take you off of where you want to be if you want to if you want to give nat a little what for you know for just being like just an old dumbass or something you don't want to be pardon the expression a little horned up you know it's not going to work
0: <laughs> yeah that's Jason Priestley's job. hi <laughs> Yeah,
1: definitely little. Oh,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Low pockets <laughs> really gets both barrels. Um. Anyway, <laughs> Spe- speaking of uh, shorter-statured people of whom we're slightly more fond, the mixter. The mixter, but not the 35-foot backward swimming one. <laughs> we love so much. With a strange 3D. growl. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. Uh, all right shall we hear a plot summary for bill Colin on his own bill sactor struggles to cope after his best friend and guardian barry morrow and his wife beverly bev move away bill moves bev. into a <laughs> group home run by Mae driscoll who teaches him how to read Bill soon discovers his religious heritage, overcoming the fire that accidentally destroyed his small canteen business, and then travels to California to search for the Morrows. End quote. That is by Anonymous on IMDB, and I can see why, because there are numerous inaccuracies in there. Like you you'd think he just tied his bandana to a stick and hitchhiked there from Iowa. That's totally not what happens. He's also befriended by grad student, I guess. In the School of Social Work, Helen Hunt, I'm not convinced he learns how to read or count, frankly, but many lessons are learned along the way. This one, I did find contemporary reviews of, but before we get into that, do you have any general comments about this sequel to the surprisingly affecting for us bill?
1: Uh, It was still affecting, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how much of that is me just being a raw nerve for five years again, uh, and and willing to like, oh, I can't, I can't have the the expiating sob about my own shit, so allow me to use this piece of like pop culture ephemera as an outlet for it, like, so I was definitely a little worked up during it, but like, I also couldn't escape the sense that like most of the Bill story, I mean, very logically was told. I mean, there's a reason why that was the first screenplay. I think, you know, that got in really everything that you needed to get in. So in this one, we we wind up, I think, probably about a half an hour is spent on, well, can Bill continue living at this house because they violated this local zoning ordinance? Uh, they've got enough people to qualify as a boarding house where, you know, unfortunately, this is all single-family residence zoning, which is something the president is very concerned about. If you want to, you know, if you're a NIMBYist, person than maybe you are too but um, like all of this is solved by like finding a piece of paper and it's not a very big house you're going to find that piece of paper if you told me like the only thing that was keeping me in my home was a piece of paper I would have riffled through every single book I own by the end of the night I mean I might have to do gloves so I don't just wear holes in the tips of my fingers but (laughs) like it's (laughs) kind of stretching credulity there and then the Helen Hunt's uh, grad student because we're kept at the TV movie clip, she doesn't get to develop the relationship that Barry had with Bill. So the moments where she's intemperate and kind of feeling her way sting a lot more and you kind of wonder why he stuck with it or maybe even why she has like the, the. I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I don't like Helen Hunt as an actress though, so that, that might have been like... An obstruction on my part, but I just felt like they didn't really click in that humane and touching way that uh, Barry and Bill do in the first one. Or maybe it's just, you know, having seen it before, like they do do that, but it didn't affect me as much. I don't know. I mean, am I off base?
0: I mean, one of the reviews that I read, possibly the People magazine one from The Time, pointed out that, you know, the first TV movie did extraordinarily well. So it being TV, they decided more of a good thing is always better and that's why we have this sequel. Helen Hunt at this time, I found her very appealing. This is like the quarterback princess era and also mm. girls just want to have fun. Um and she had not like retreated behind this sort of bitchy condescending wall that starting with mad about you, I feel is is where kind of she kind of lost me. As an appealing actor, which is a pity because like five or ten years before that, she'd been fine. Yeah, this just felt like pandering to, to people who enjoyed the performance by Mickey Rooney the first time. And he was nominated again for this. He didn't win. Yeah, I felt similar to you. I felt um, moved at times by him and his situation, but also manipulated and Also, also like it was able to successfully manipulate me because it's 2020 and there's a lot of other shit going on that's like the cleansing cry that I need would like never stop. So to be able to focus it on something like this is, I guess, helpful or something needed. This movie is not needed, but yeah. One of the things I noticed the second time going through on Bill
1: here is that, you know, maybe one of the reasons why Rooney's performance resonated with so many people in the uh, the Academy of, you know, whatever, television arts or whatever it is, because like being a child star and then playing a childlike person, it was able to do some of the mugging that maybe they were used to in a in a pitiable way or like in a, a super vulnerable way. That in his larger body made it all the more—I don't know—like sort of tugging at nostalgia and at vulnerability for people, um, because yeah. this time it felt like maybe he was mugging a little bit bigger at, than before, and I, I didn't know if if that was my familiarity making it kind of come off the page in greater relief or come off the screen in greater relief, or if it was yeah. maybe that he was just going bigger in this one. But it—it it felt he felt a little bit more like. Um, going even big on childlike a a few times i don't know
0: well are it like in a sitcomy what you talking about willis moment a little Mm. bit just like the things that they kept coming back to like his phrasings i think they were leaning on those a little hard and i think that was a script thing that he could have really blown those out to be way bigger um, mm-hmm. But he managed not to like I did sort of admire his restraint May I read for you some words from John J. O'Connor for the New York Times, please All right Barry Morrow Dennis Quaid the filmmaker who first took an interest in Bill's story is moving from Iowa to California with his wife and young son Bill moves into the boarding house of May Driscoll determined that he is going to make it on his own while running a small coffee shop at the University of blah, 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 blah. Things will not be easy May's neighbors are not enthusiastic about her boarders, who also include a woman named Angela, Edie McClurg, and a withdrawn handyman named Kenny, Tracy Walter, who's like totally, uh, hey, it's that vaguely threatening hayseed.
1: Yeah, the more you drive, the dumber you get.
0: What is that from?
1: Repo Man. Oh, okay.
0: I think a lot about this kind of stuff. I do my best thinking on the bus. That's how come I don't drive, see? You don't even know how to drive. I don't want to know how. I don't want to learn, see? The more you drive, the less intelligent you are. <laughs> Anyways. That's true. All right. O'Connor continues. Um, A representative of the um, City MacGuffin Authority, paraphrasing, appears to announce that without a permit, May can keep no more than two people in her house. Bill will have to go. This was the piece of paper mentioned before. Meanwhile, at the university, a young student, Jenny Helen Hunt, decides to do her term paper on Bill, convinced that she can teach him to read and write. And on top of everything else, Bill's sister dies in Florida, a piece of news he gets from the local rabbi, who then proceeds to prepare Bill for his bar mitzvah. This sequel certainly does not suffer from a lack of storylines. Still, under the direction of Anthony Page, the project manages to work reasonably well, thanks primarily to a slew of fine performances. This is the familiar television country of heartwarming and upbeat, always just a little too sanitized and comforting to be completely convincing. I think that's about right. Um, I pulled a clip that epitomizes the way that Bill is written and performed this time around that seemed both very calculated but also was very effective, at least on me. Here is that clip. I've been looking for a dog, May. A dog ran away and I had to catch him. I'm Mrs. Noble, Bill. I don't want to shake hands because my hands are dirty. Listen, I don't want to leave here because I, I like it here. And another reason is I'd have to go. Bill, my mom told me to give you this. It's my allowance. Wait a minute, I can't take your allowance. I know there are rules about that. Let's talk to your mother about that. You find a dog, you don't take a guy's allowance. You have to find a dog because you like the dog. I mean that's a good rule but i really feel like this is a lot of like magical developmentally delayed guy like he found this dog he didn't care that he got dirty he won't take any money like could bill just be a straight fuck up in one way
1: well he is though like i mean i think within five minutes of that he takes all the change for his coffee shop and is supposed to go it takes money from the coffee shop and is supposed to go get change from the bank. And then he gets taken advantage of by a couple of girl scouts who get him to buy all of their raffle tickets for (laughs) the school's music program or something like, I look uh,
0: (laughs) as a, as a retired, uh, green beret, I'm telling you, you'll do whatever you have to do. (laughs) Look, one more box of tree foils, old man. (laughs) You know what I mean though? Right? Like, I don't feel like that's sort of written as a, um, as part of his character. Also, this is a real person, so that part of the Ven is unclear.
1: Here's what I was thinking, right? That scene where he gets the dog and he doesn't mind getting muddy, I think that would have been fine if they just put it like two scenes earlier. Yeah. And we'd had some other break in between because it makes it seem like this is the heroic thing that's going to get the boarding house, the unofficial boarding house saved. Doing this incredibly generous thing and and not taking any thanks for it out of the goodness of his heart right in front of the woman who is going to force him to go stay in a home or something he has to move out of the house because they're breaking the zoning yeah and if that was what changed her mind then that would be oppressive but it doesn't change her mind what what fixes everything is finding the permit that they always had so if they just put it like five minutes before where and then the woman's like well that's nice
0: I got to go. <laughs> you well, know, uh, Yeah. I mean, it just comes down to what are we doing here for me? Because I feel like the first movie established that he is this kind soul from whom we all have much to learn right. and we don't need it underlined. Like he went and saved this dog that got loose and didn't, you know, messed up his clothes and didn't take any thanks for it or any money for it. And it's like, I just assumed that based on the last movie and it just keeps underlining what a great guy he is which we got it and then given that the so-called plots like the papers in the bible like oh really like why have we been sitting here for an hour and 34 then
1: yeah and if you were a real christian you would have known that because you would have opened the fucking bible so give me this shit about the
0: lord providence has been checking its watch for like a week and a half (laughs) maybe (laughs) come on yeah it was in the It was in the book of rent. I mean, it was right there. I mean, on on the other hand, as we record this, it is, uh, it is the one year anniversary of, uh, our adopting our dog bear who let's just say he hasn't exactly made it a mystery why he couldn't keep a home. (laughs) We love him, but man, so like something about this dog rescue thing was like, I, I resent you bringing the dog into it, honestly. And then also sniffle. So, yeah, The whole movie's kind of like that, except this one bit at the end where Barry sort of returns and there's this whole bit about him kind of cruelly threatening to spend Bill's lucky $2 bill on ice cream at the boardwalk. And it appears to be part of Barry's plan to like sever Bill from him emotionally by being a dick. I like, I was not clear on that. I didn't think it was a good look for the movie but everything turns out okay in the end, I guess. I, I don't know. A lot of interactions with Bill, I'm not really sure
1: how mean-spirited they're meant to be. Um, yeah, Helen Hunt's Jenny, I'm not sure how much we're meant to view her as a callow person or a a... Uh, and you know a person with underdeveloped empathy because you know she is a first year grad student and in fact we find out at the end of the movie after she gives this impassioned speech she's only done one semester of grad school and, and she's leaving and he's she's, like yeah. so
0: but are you gonna come back and she's like i don't know like well we became friends and that's good enough right bye yeah
1: bye, bye now bye-bye. bye bye you know, just like, it, it's it's Barry and her back to back. And then at the end, it's like, well, Bill died this year. Yeah. Oh, geez. And then there was that. All the friends you met of Bill's, like, they were like, Bill,
0: I'm a little busy right now. R.I.P. Bill. Like, whoa. Yeah. Guys, don't study too hard. I'm just going to annoy you while you're trying to study in this coffee shop you built for me via the proceeds of some kind of bake sale that we didn't see. Yeah. Well, R.I.P. Like, Bill. Like if the last thing that Bambi had said to Bambi's mom was
1: like, listen, I'm just, I've got a thing right now. Can you just give me 10 minutes and go away? You know, like it's just, uh, there's all this like weird rejection (laughs) right before we get hit with the immemorium. And then even before that, like just accidentally, accidental meanness from Jenny. He says at some point he's heartbroken because his sister is sick and he needs to go see her. And he says, uh, and he also knows that he may be evicted. And he says, I got to move.
0: What? Oh, I maybe better see my sister. Sarah, the one in Florida? This. Jenny, this came. And May didn't want read it. Me neither. What?
1: Bill, it's okay if I just drop you off. right? I mean, I can't come in the room with you anyway. Uh, uh, Bill, uh, uh <laughs> this is his friend. I'm not sure. We're halfway through the movie, and this is still the way she's behaving. And then, uh, about uh, 10 minutes after that, she gets
0: exasperated with him and says,
1: Bill, how am I ever supposed to evaluate that? Look, it looks
0: like this agreement isn't working. do you want to call it quits? Like, find someone else for your paper, then. And then there's her, I guess, boyfriend, Doug. Who starts out as this, like, I thought it was just going to be the two of us. And then Bill is the one who is cutting him major side eye at lunch. And uh, Doug's trying to be like, nope, just a check. And Bill's like, I'll have some coffee, please, <laughs> which was kind of kind of a uh, power move. And then <laughs> five scenes later, he's like discussing with Doug that there's a problem on the coffee pot of doom which I suspect inspired the killer crockpot of This Is Us. I can't swear to it. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't prove it didn't. I mean, I don't know. Like, not justice for Doug or anything, because who cares? But I I don't know. Like, the the movie just was, like, really not... I really do not wish to uh, compare this to porn, but that's what I'm gonna do. Hold my beer. It's just only interested in the like, you know, hitting the hitting the bar parts. Mm-hmm. You know? So
1: What it has going for it is a, a song at the beginning oh, that I can't I couldn't no. find any trace of on YouTube. I would love to find a full copy of this, but it just has this lyric that <laughs> I, I guess Why <laughs> that I want you to hear.
0: A dream is not a waste of time when you feel it in your heart. We- Can I ask a question though? Where would you have to feel it for it to be a waste of time? I mean, if it's a stabbing pain in your ass, yeah, probably a waste of time.
1: I like the fact that this movie had hot zoning action. I always love hot zoning sure, action. Sure, yes. The guy who played uh, Rabbi Jeff Portman, uh, Paul Lieber, is from a like a seven or eight season seven or eight Law and Order episode, but he also was in. The Hollywood AD episode of the X Files where he played the Abby Hoffman Mankay, Micah Hoffman. Oh, that was the one where right. Gary Shandling asks uh, Mulder if he dresses to the left and then Oh, um,
0: thank you. I was like, I know yeah. uh, I was looking at that entry on IMDB and was like, I can't I can't get a fix on like I know I saw it, but I can't get a fix yeah. on it. So yeah, thank you. And Scully yeah. was
1: played by David Duchovny's chief victim, Taya Leone. So mm-hmm history's you know.
0: greatest acting robot.
1: And listen, you know, it was an extinction level event. She had to keep cool. It, otherwise, how deep could the impact have been without her? Think about it. Or are no. you talking about David Duchovny?
0: <laughs> let's let's rate this bitch, shall we? <gasps> <laughs> not uh, Not Taylor
1: Leone, the movie. I'd like to rate the movie a wood if you know what I mean. And uh no. Um I don't know. I was really struggling with it. Uh, Can we can we talk this out? I mean, is this do you have a firm number in your mind or?
0: I mean, I don't don't know. Like, I feel like my first instinct is to say a three because any lower than that implies that I was actively angered or made uncomfortable, which I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was sort of touched and manipulated by it. I'm, I guess, a little resentful of that, but the fact that I can acknowledge that it happened and that it's sort of outside of the movie itself is fine I just you know like it, it was one thing to come to the bill or the sactor whatever not expecting anything except offensively overacted horrors slash boredom and then be pleasantly surprised by the texture of it and the characterizations in it but once I was all set so this is a pretty low rating but it's mostly for I don't know superfluity so yeah I'm gonna stick on a three but if you feel I should go higher I can be cajoled where are you at my, my thought was something more
1: like a five because the the previous one I thought was, you know, like a seven or eight at least mm-hmm. on the TV movie scale. As a TV movie, it again it wasn't offensive in any spots. If Jenny Helen hunts Jenny seems insensitive, the movie is not. It, it does seem to be constrained a little bit, and it obviously has to repeat. But if I'd seen this first, I, I might be a little kind of confused as to why we're sort of speeding to this part. But I would right. think it was like perfectly. It's a perfect sort of Mendoza line movie. And in, in, I guess in the movie, you know, like the, the movie sense, right? Like, or perfectly replacement level, I guess I should say. Yes. I'm not going to lose any games by, by watching this movie. I'm not going to win any. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. bump
0: it up to a four then. I think you're right. Okay. You're sitting at you're sitting at five? Well, I mean, if you
1: want to compromise, I can go to four. I mean, are we trying to be friendly about it? I, like, I don't know. I mean, I mean,
0: it's always friendly. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh Oh, shit. Okay. My opening, bid, my opening bit was away. a three, but I felt like that was maybe uncharitable. And having heard you speak on this, I concur. Okay. And I'll I'm leave mine there. And, raising yeah. it to a four. Uh, in case okay. anyone's writing a book, please include this entire exchange.
1: Yeah, you need the context. It's important <laughs> that
0: people remember this. Dear future scholars, <laughs> the Quaidosity. Um This is like... Book ended by Quaid only. I think this is going to be our one sort of step back before season three really slingshots us into peak Quaid. I pulled a couple clips, but it's like, why? You, yeah. You know, he's fine in the opening scenes where they're um, saying goodbye to Bill. Dennis Quaid does seem legitimately affected and Mm -hmm. touched by what's happening. And I sort of, this sort of sinus-y, rueful Quaid was a little unusual. And I felt like maybe something in real life was happening. Like this was actually filmed last and he was bummed out. He wasn't going to see five foot or 35 foot Mickey Rooney anymore or they just told him the real Bill Sacter had died. Like I don't know, I don't know what was affecting that performance. the The second time he shows up in the film, it is more quady, but it doesn't fit into it. Doesn't
1: this universe? It feels almost checked out. I mean, it, it almost feels like he's just happy to hang out with the mixer, like yeah. he's just happy to see his buddy. And like, and I don't even mean, I don't mean Mickey Rooney as Bill. I think uh, just like Mickey Rooney, what comes through more is. Quaid as Quaid, rather than Quaid as uh, as rueful uh, Barry Morrow.
0: Yeah, but either way, once again, we're sort of confronted with that quandary. Sorry, not that sorry. What happens be, if he's being Quaidy, but he shouldn't be being Quaidy? And I think what yeah. happens here is that it's a two because he's barely in it, and he shouldn't be in it anymore.
1: That was was my pick. And it was, in fact, I was going to say, like, it's a two and one of the two shouldn't even be there because the (laughs) quaidiness is like, it's just like
0: phoned in. All right. Well, before we wrap up this season of Quaid in Full, a couple of notes. It will surprise no one to learn that in our season overall, both the highest scoring overall film and the quaintiest film was last week's entry, The Right Stuff, Stripes was the least quaidy on our list. Somehow, it scored a point um, oh five <laughs> combined <laughs> quatiness, and then should have been a zero. Yeah, it it really <laughs> should be have been generous. And we can't we can't really prove that uh, we can't really prove otherwise. Um, and then lowest overall score, somewhat surprisingly, I guess, given how much I ranted about stripes, uh, was actually Caveman in episode four that had a combined overall score from us of one point seven five. Followed closely down the basement stairs by Gorp. So <laughs> low lo these many months ago. So that's it for the season. I think we really have had quite a long journey from complete obscurity to utter absence of Quaid to approaching peak Quaid in just 10 episodes or 12 episodes. You've come a long way,
1: listener, and you might feel that you've wasted a lot of time in the dream of reaching peak Quaid. But I want you to remember.
0: A dream is not a waste of time when you feel it in your heart. And I think DreamScape is the first episode of season three. Bueno. <laughs> so, so there's a segue for you, comma, folks. Next time on Quaid and Full, after your hosts have a nice long lie down with the assist of Brown Liquor. Yes, another one. Season three, the mid to late 80s peak Quade Ahoy, Dreamscape, InterSpace, Suspect, and other fine films with two syllables. In the meantime, you can smack the coffee machine that is our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quade and Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered, or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. Quade and Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund, and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Put down that harmonica. Do that anyway. And go sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review Quade in full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next season. Now? Today. Okay. Now, let's go. I'll learn. Let's go.
1: Okay.